And welcome to the studio here at Triple H 100.1 FM. You are listening live to Small Biz Matters across the community radio network. My name is Alexi Boyd and I'm very proud to be broadcasting today a special show all about small business education in particular in celebration of International Women's Day. Now, why does that exist? I mean, some of us out there might think that International Women's Day is unnecessary, celebrates 50% of the workforce, 50% of small businesses, 50% of us doing good stuff. Is it really necessary? But I guess um, in terms of a booster or us really focusing in on what it is to be a female, a woman in business, it's a good opportunity to hone our skills and hear from the experts when it comes to what running a small business is all about in particular. There's lots of great events out there. There's councils doing great things, the tax officers doing great things, lots of um, ways that you can get educated. So do keep an eye out um, locally what's going on. There are some very expensive uh, events. There's also some very inexpensive events that you can grab hold of. So make sure you find out what's going on and educate yourself even further beyond what we do here on Small Biz Matters. So one of the greatest challenges when starting a business or even all stages of growing a business is knowing what to charge. Goods are kind of easier to price. You compare what you do and the quality of the standard that which you're with your competition and then you test the market and off you go. But services are a bit trickier, particularly ones where you're a trailblazer or nobody's really doing what you've done before. Even industries where there are clear standards based on experience or qualifications and work, valuing yourself within that range isn't always always clear cut. So today we're going to be speaking to Dr. Abby Whidden, who's here to share with us um, some strategies you can implement to see your value and then pitch them exactly to the right type of client and know what you're worth. Welcome to the program, Abby. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Alexi. Now, it's great to have you uh, because I've heard you speak before and I've really enjoyed the way that you focus in on keeping it strategic, not sort of, you know, why are we here, the fluffiness, the where will you be in five years time stuff, but really understanding some really great forward thinking steps that you can do uh, to really understand what your worth is. And it's a tricky thing. Would you agree that um, females, I guess, struggle more with this than, than male small business owners? Yes. In general, I think that a lot of women struggle to figure out exactly what they should charge. And because so many of them work alone uh, from either a home office or they're set up, they've set themselves up as a solopreneur, they don't really have anyone to bounce those ideas around with and get feedback. And so they're going out to the market and not really being sure where they pitch themselves. So by default, they tend to pitch themselves a bit lower. Is, that sounds like it's a bit of a lack of research or is it simply because it's so isolating working for yourself or a bit of both? Uh, Well, I think a lot of people would hesitate before calling a competitor and trying to say, you know, what do you charge? And so they don't have that same, you know, if they get together with a group of other businesswomen, they don't always sit around and talk about, you know, how did you pick up that last contract or what did you charge for that piece of work? And so they don't build up that database that guys often build up over, you know, years and years, maybe even decades of being on the golf course. Uh, They just have an absence of information. That's, yeah, that's a good point. We're less likely uh, to feel like we can just chat about it with our chums that we, is that because we've got a sense of competitiveness around us with simply being female? Do we look at a, a, you know, at a room full of women and pitch ourselves automatically with maybe our age or what we're wearing or what we look like and um, how we're dressed. Is that something that's innate? Isn't that sad? I think I'm Uh. convincing myself this is the case. (laughs) Is that part of the problem? Uh, Well, 
I really think that people just are a bit nervous. You know, a lot of them have set up their businesses because they've left corporate or they're getting back into uh, work after, like trying to set up a business for themselves after having a baby. And so they're looking for some flexibility. Uh, and some, so they might not have put uh, all of the thinking behind it. And so their business might not be quite as big as they might like it to be. Uh, and particularly their income might not be as big as they'd like it to be. And so they're often worried that other people are doing better and other people will judge them if they ask for advice. And they really just don't have that same safe, supportive environment that you would have in corporate where you can, you know, uh, oh, everyone got a pay raise. You know, what percent did you get or uh, how often do you get that that pay raise? Mm, and it's a good point. And one of those ways that you can obviously break down those barriers is by uh, having meetups with your professional association, find out what they're doing and just get out there and talk to people because... Even talking to people who do something completely different from you might help to value yourself. So let's let's talk about a bit of the strategy behind this. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that a lot of people, when they're setting up a business, um, they don't understand that there should be an expectation that you're not going to earn anything for a little while. Um, how can you move beyond that and make that part of your strategic thinking when valuing your worth? A lot of people, when they set up their business, they think... I'll just go out and I'll get a client and then I'll get another client. And in fact, my growth will be really linear right from the very beginning. And what actually ends up happening is it's a little more exponential than that. That stays, the income stays flatter for a little bit longer and then rises faster than you might have expected it to. And so because of that, you have to almost plan that there's going to be a transition period if you can it's nice to have a transition period. Some some people are just thrust themselves into business and suck it and hope for the best. But if you know that there's going to be a little bit of time, you might go out and uh, do a market test of what your offering is. Go and talk to some people about, is this service going to be in demand? What kind of price could I charge for it? How much work would I expect to get out of that business? And then build up one or two clients before making the leap entirely. And with those conversations, who do you talk to? Do you stick to people who are, as we mentioned before, competitors, or do you talk to people who are potential clients? It depends how ready you are to go into business, uh, but a potential client is always going to have more value than a competitor because you don't know how well the competitor's doing. Mm. You don't know what their offer is. You don't know how good they are at selling. They might be terrible at all of those things. Mm. And so you'd end up taking advice from someone who's not nearly in a place that you want to be. And that's a good point as well because you could take advice from someone who's behind you, you could be uh, further down the road than them, not even realise it. So I guess constructing those conversations in a bit of a strategic way to not look like you're mining them for information, but actually asking for advice. Yeah. And so if you uh, find someone who might be a potential client, uh, you can go in and really pitch it as market research. You might say, I'm looking to get into this new area. Uh, but before I really make the leap and commit to it, I'm just trying to find out as much as I can about this area. Would you mind if I buy you a coffee and you know, take half an hour of your time to ask you some questions about your experience in this space mm. uh, and your experience with these particular types of problems? And for the price of a cup of coffee you'll be amazed at the depth of information you'll find about, you know, the shape of the problem, the depth of the problem, how, uh, what, what the person would be able to do 
in the rest of their business or the rest of their life if you help them to solve that problem. You know, helping helping somebody solve a problem goes far beyond just that problem at hand. It has a ripple effect in other areas as well. So you have to also just be a little bit ready to say, you know, at the end, because they might say, oh, my God, I'm so glad that we're talking about this. You know, how can we help and when can we get started? Uh, if if you are ready to get started, that's great. But if you're not, just say, look, I want to I want to tighten it up a little bit further. Let me come back to you in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. Uh, and then, you know, we can have another conversation about exactly how I can help. And then you might just keep going away and doing more research on what your pricing should be or what the offer should really look like in duration or intensity uh, and then come back and, and have that final conversation. And if it does turn into a client-based conversation because of the way the conversation evolves, that's really shows a lot of, um, I guess, maturity that you're able to say, look, I'm not quite ready to put forward a proposal, but give me this amount of time. And for whatever you do, make sure you come back to them in that exact, maybe a couple of days early, even a, a exact period of time that you said that you would as well, because there's nothing worse than sort of coming back in six months <laughs> and then saying, by the way, I remember that conversation we had and they've completely forgotten about yeah, you. Not a good not, look. They do not remember that conversation. I also like the point that you're making there where um, maybe other things might come out of that. So I guess if you're uh, wandering around with people in the same industry, but not actually competitors, but those in the industry, and you're asking them questions, they might give you suggestions um, of other ways that you can make an income in the same way that you hadn't thought of before. So just write stuff down. Like, I don't know about you, but after having children, my brain is a sieve. (laughs) (laughs) So if somebody tells me a golden nugget, write it down. And and if anything else, it, it makes them feel quite chuffed that you're valuing what they're saying enough to be able to go, you know what, this is gold. I've got to write this down in my notebook. No, you should absolutely take notes while you're doing it because, you know, after half a dozen of those conversations, you won't remember who said what and uh, when you promised to come back to them and and what you promised to offer them. Um, But just let me go back to the person who you do do the interview with. You want to make sure that you're interviewing the right type of client. If I can just use a hairdresser analogy for a minute. Like, let's say that... Um, you like because everybody knows hairdressers. Uh, you have got just cuts, which you know for a cut and blow dry is probably somewhere around that thirty thirty five dollar range. You've got a high street or a you know, suburban high street hairdresser at sixty to eighty dollars a haircut for a cut and blow dry. Uh, you've got one hundred and twenty dollars to one hundred and fifty. There's a few down at um, you know, Bondi Beach in a trendy little back street, which are closer to the two hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, and if you go down to Surrey Hills, you know Commonwealth Street, Surrey Hills, there's a guy down there who is charging seven hundred dollars for a cut and blow dry. And and, and just leaving the outliers out. So leave out the, the just cuts and leave out the, the $700 guy. But, you know, focusing on that $60 to $120 haircut. Even though it's still a cut and blow dry, there's probably not a lot of difference in the quality of those hairdressers. And, in fact, the person who's charging $120 probably isn't paying double the rent and they're not paying their apprentices double uh, and they're not like they might have fancier coffees but it's not extraordinarily fancy coffee um you have to the person who goes into the $60 one would never dream of spending $120 on a haircut and the person who goes into the $120 would never dream of going into the $60 one because they just don't understand how important it is to have your hair just right. And so if you think of yourself, and I know that very few people listening will be thinking of themselves as hairdressers, but 
if you think about it in that same sense, you've almost got a target. What is the type of client that you want to attract to your new business or to, even to your existing business? Do you want someone who is, um, you know, top shelf, who's able to have slightly deeper pockets and who actually really values what it is you offer and they want to get this particular problem solved or this this need itched? Uh, or are you looking for someone who is just wants the run of the mill because this actually isn't very important to them and, and maybe they don't even have the money to pay any extra? As a business owner, one of the best things I like is that independence to be able to choose what tier of cl- customer or client that you're going to go for. And so when you're, when you're having those conversations, that's what you need to incorporate in the conversation is to understand what that client looks like. We, you know, we hear a lot about in the business planning phase that you have to have that, you know, that ideal client. Um, and is that part of the conversation as well? You're looking at them and you're saying, well, is this you or are you, do you remain in that mentor space? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about the industry so I know who I'm talking to? Because sometimes you don't even know who, yeah. what the job description is, is the, of the person that you're trying to target if you're very new to an industry. Yeah. Yeah, so let me let me just give you one example of a woman who uh, was a journalist, so very good at, at words. Uh, she's a published author. And when she lost her journalism job, as many journalists do, uh, she set up and started to uh, help a writer's centre by coaching their students. So she ran classes for them. Some of those writers would come out and need help with their own storytelling, and she was able to do that uh, I'm going to I'm going to sort of make up the package, but let's say it ends up being eighty dollars an hour if it was at the writers um, at the at the writers course, and it ended up being let's say two and a half thousand dollars, which was an extraordinary amount of money once she'd packaged up her services to mentor them through their second or third draft. Taking exactly those same skills, she's now working for large corporates, so ASX listed blue chips uh, companies all of us would recognise. And she's selling those same types of skills, so helping them to develop their strategic narrative or helping them with their storytelling, uh, and is now able to make somewhere between $17,000 and $35,000 for exactly the same amount of time and effort that she was getting for that $2,500 job. And that's just changing the type of client you sell to. How do you change that client? That's the big one. How do you know that what you're pitching your business to is is too small fry and then you make that, you need to make that transition? I mean, finding the client, that's another kettle of fish. But how do you, I think, um, in your mind, make that transition and recognise that your skills can be utilised at a higher price range? Part of it comes down to what your goals are. So, Let's say that everyone has the same amount of time in the week or in the year. Um, Alexi, as, as mothers, I'm sure that we have slightly less time in the year once you, you know, give all of the, the 16 weeks of school holidays to help with the summer harvest or whatever they get that time for. <laughs> um, but if we've got a certain amount of time and we say, okay, well, we're going to charge that out, we've got to try to force ourselves up that value ladder. We've got to go back and figure out if I sell this many $2,500 packages in that time, it's going to give me X dollars of income for the year. If that doesn't meet what my goals are, I have to figure out who's going to find these skills more valuable so that I can charge more for the same amount of work and then allow me to reach my goals more easily. And so does it become a matter of um, looking at the goals and then working backwards from there 
or do you start with the package and trying to lift up your package to, to meet a higher goal? Or is it different for different people? Well, I think it's iterative. You, know, you, you start with one and then you play around with it. So, you know, those writers that I mentioned before, uh, when our storyteller journalist started off, she was only charging $80 an hour. So somebody might book her for $400, you know, five hours worth of work, uh, $400. Um, and by changing that, she was able to make it a $2,500 package for those same writers. And so she did that, which increased her income a lot. I think she was at um, 35000 and that got it up to about 70000 or $75,000 a year. She looked at her goals and said, well, actually, you know what, I'd prefer to be closer to that three hundred, three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, this is just her. Mm. Uh, and so then went, how do I transition into that, you know, if corporates hypothetically, are likely to pay more. What is it that I need to offer them in order to get my storytelling skills across? And I think one of those main things is, the crux of that is that packages idea. The idea that um, corporates, if they're going to outsource something, they want to outsource everything. They don't want to be thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get you to come in and do this workshop, for example, but am I going to have to organise the catering? Am I going to have to organise your time? Do I need to organise your insurance? You need to walk into that with a, a real... When Package means everything. They don't have to lift a finger. You say, I'll take care of it all. You just book me and I'll do the rest. Yeah. That's what they're looking for, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And so you can't even go in with a, uh, a sense of, I'm going to work for you for five days. Because if you start talking about your fees in terms of a day rate, then they're going to look at that and be trying to figure out how do I reduce the amount of time she works rather than how do I improve the quality of the outcome. And if they're booking you to do a job, you have to focus on the quality of the outcome of that job, you know, the depth of the of the work or the breadth or the scope of what it is. And you have to help change that around so that it's helping them to meet their objectives, whatever they're, they're trying to achieve. You're job has to help them achieve that. So you need to walk in there saying, you know, well, what we're going to do is we're going to do a, an audit or a scope or an assessment. Uh, we, I'm going to interview some people. I'm going to send out a survey. I'm going to look at all of the documents you've already got on this. And then once we're, I've done that, we're going to get together just a very, very tight group and run through what the scope of this project really looks like. We'll create a roadmap there. Then we'll run a bigger workshop and then they'll go away and do some validation. Then we'll come back and tie it all neatly together and now we have designed your strategy following that you might then say we need to do some implementation uh, but this is just an example of how you change it from five days of work into a project which still might take five days of work but you're able to charge I don't know five or six or ten but times you didn't, more but you didn't say five days absolutely yeah, not yeah, absolutely not that, rookie error yeah rookie error <laughs> don't do that <laughs> not talking about time but talking about packages and I hope all of you listening out there you're listening to Small Biz Matters by the way on Triple H I'm hoping that all of you out there can really visualise no matter what it is that you produce no matter what it is that you do that you can package it up because I think maybe that's the transition that we're all missing. We're all still thinking back in the world of, you know, hourly rate or just being excited for earning anything ourselves. Well, let's move beyond that and say, you know what, my value is the wholest bolus package. I come with fully insured. I come with all these 20 years of experience. You're not paying for the $80 an hour now. You're paying for all that experience. And that's why the package needs to be there because you can't go... Yeah. 
20 years of experience. That doesn't that looks a bit weird on a Well, let me just also <laughs> just rate. add, you know, this is this is the same concept for uh, somebody who sells macarons, yeah? They're, you don't sell just one macaron. You sell four or six or ten of them. Mm. Um, it's the same for a beauty salon owner. So you're not selling a facial. You're selling an autumn rejuvenation package <laughs> where you have the facial, but you also walk out with some products that are going to make sure that your skin doesn't get too dry as the air, as the weather changes and the cold winds start and the leaves fall off the trees. Mm. Uh, it's the same for uh, I've seen some bookkeepers change it around so they charge less by the hour and more by a, a monthly fee or accountants do this. Um, even lawyers, unless it's some, going into litigation where you just don't know, you know how long the piece of string is, um, you know, a lawyer will also package up their services and say this is what it's going to take to you know, review your policies and procedures. So don't think that this is just for high-end consultants. This is actually applicable for every service, you know, even a monthly pool keeping service, you know, where the, the guy comes around, I'm sure he takes off his shirt as he does it, but he takes care of the pool and he puts the chemicals in and every week or every month, you don't have to worry about a thing because it's all packaged up uh, and and it's taken care of. And it's good for cash flow too, so that you know what you're, you're paying. So let's go through just uh, t- step by step what we what we talked about today. So mainly um, make this a part of your process. And when you start out, or you know, even if you haven't done it yet, and you think, oh gosh, I better go back a few months and, and think back to when I started. But actually sit down with people who can give you great advice, uh, not necessarily potential clients. Take lots of notes, ask them lots of different things, be prepared to pivot in the conversation, I guess, a little bit and be open to new ideas about what it is that you're doing. And then um, shy away from that hourly rate and start thinking about packages and the problems that you're going to solve. I think the hardest part is if you haven't been in corporate for a while, understanding the language of how to put those packages together is actually quite tricky. So that might be a really good time to get some advice. There's probably a lot of... um, advertising people and even even your local signage shop might be able to give you a, some tips or, or some tricks on, on how to, the wording for that sort of thing. Or, you know, ask for someone to help you with copy um, when it comes to putting together packages. So there's lots of great things that you can do to value yourself that little bit better. And, and as we all know on Small Biz Matters, it's all about that practical sense. Now, Abby, tell us how people can find out more about you and, and the coaching that you do for businesses. Thank you, Alexi. Uh, I have a business coaching service for women at one extra zero o n e e x t r a z e r o dot com, and I help women figure out who they're going to target, how to package up their services, and how to sell the value of what of the outcome they create. Uh, I also am a consultant. I work with some several uh, multi-billion-dollar companies, and again, it's the same type of work, just on a different scale, where we figure out what their customer value proposition is, what their service offer design is, and create a roadmap for then implementing that throughout their organisation. That's fantastic, and of course, you're on LinkedIn and available uh, through Abby at one extra zero dot com. Yes, if you're looking on LinkedIn, you might find me at Abby Grace for the one extra zero business and Abby Widden for the go to market co business. <laughs> Fantastic! Look, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been hugely um, informational. After we come, when we come back after a break, we're going to be talking to Daniel Lukovitz, and we're going to talk about mitigating disaster. We're going to be not thinking about. It. We're going to think about it strategically. We're not going to panic. We're going to prep. Here on Small Biz Matters, we'll be back after these community service announcements.